0: Welcome to All Right, Now What? A podcast from the Canadian Women's Foundation. On the show, we're asking, how does a pandemic affect the most marginalized people among us? And how do we get from there to where we want to be? In this season, we'll be talking to our resident experts about the pandemic's impact on women and girls and which structures are failing women during this emergency. Then we'll be looking forward to uncover how we can use this challenging time not to go back to normal, but instead to invest in a new normal, where gender equality is our reality. I'm your host, Kate Hawkins.
1: My name is Anuradha Dugal. I'm the Senior Director of Community Initiatives and Policy at Canadian Women's Foundation. I have the opportunity to do some government relations, some policy work, uh, writing uh, briefs and And uh, also we get involved in several research projects uh, to do with uh, gender-based violence, but also to do with economic uh, security for women and leadership for women and girls. So really in the areas of work that the foundation is most concerned with.
2: Hi, my name is Pamela Upal. I'm a policy advisor at the Ontario Nonprofit Network. And there I'm leading our future of work portfolio. And this includes everything from nonprofit and charitable labor market information to decent work for women working in the sector across the province. Um, and more recently looking at the future of work with a nonprofit sector lens as well as a gender based and intersectional lens. Um, and more broadly, I'm leading a GBA plus or gender-based analysis and intersectionality work across ONN's policy files. Both busy people. Uh, So this episode, as you both know, we're talking
0: about the women's sector and what we want our post-pandemic world to look like more broadly, which is something you've both been uh, super involved with through working on this report, the Resetting Normal Report. So to begin, uh, what is the Resetting Normal Report? Can you give me kind of a quick... Uh,
1: summary there. So it's actually, uh, it's a series of reports. So the first one is about a thriving funding a thriving uh, women's sector. Uh, equally, we will be doing reports on economic prosperity for women and the and the care sector, and uh, another report on the effects of gender-based violence on women, and possibly a fourth report on leadership um, for women or the leadership of women during the COVID pandemic in particular, because we think there's a, some interesting models that have emerged.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I'll just add on to that um, what stood out for me about this particular report as it was the first one in the series is that it sets the stage for talking about gender equity during the pandemic. Uh, we know that a lot of inequities have been brought or rather laid bare because of the pandemic. And um, this report was a nice way to sort of set that stage to talk about that. Um, and particularly looking at how that stage or what's been sort of revealed through the pandemic is really complicated um, when it comes to thinking about uh, women's economic security, women gender equality, um, and the women's sector. What do we mean when we say the women's sector? And sort of what purpose, um these organizations serve, what kind of work are they engaged with? The women's sector is part of the broader nonprofit and charitable sector in Canada um, and we've done a lot of work over the past couple of years looking at how the sector, not just a non-profit sector but particularly women's sector as well, has been historically and traditionally feminized. Um, so what, by, what I mean by that is that gender has always played a significant role in not just the way in which the labour market in the sector functions um, but how work in the sector is valued and Waged, how the issues that are taken up by the sector are sort of valued in broader public discourse, how how we receive funding in the sector, um, and all of that. So one of the big pieces we did was some research around twenty eighteen on women's work experiences in the sector, um, and we found that feminization. Included a lot of factors. Um. So yes, eighty percent of the workforce is women majority. Um. Much of the work that's done in the nonprofit sector and in the women sector is considered care work, which has been traditionally and historically considered women's work, particularly that of racialized immigrant, indigenous women, undocumented women, migrant women, um, and. Another piece around that is that a lot of the people accessing and relying on services provided by the sector and, and the women's sector are women and children. So the women's sector, sounds like, is doing a lot of really
0: crucial and often sort of interrelated work. What can you tell me about the state of the sector before the pandemic?
1: Well, it was, um, it wasn't great. It's a traditionally... Uh, seriously underfunded, even in comparison to a charitable sector that is already struggling for funds, many philanthropists, whether they're individuals or, or corporations, focus their, their work on institutions such as hospitals and universities, work by and for women, and especially work
2: with a feminist
1: lens, is very often at the bottom of that list.
2: What you sort of highlighted is very similar to what we found in our Decent Work for Women research in the sector in 2018. If we took out um, data particularly from women working in women's organizations. and um, We found that they were more likely to report that their issues were not taken as seriously by funders, um, that they had lower wages in comparison to even the nonprofit sector in general, um, and that they actually experience more of a glass ceiling um for positions outside of the women outside of the sector if they wanted to transition to um work in other subsectors or in other sectors. Um and so I think the piece around, you know, when you look at it from a broader like the nonprofit and charitable sector has been underfunded, but when you particularly look at, at the women's sector, it's been um, as Anu was saying, sort of at the bottom of the hierarchy or however you wanna explain it. Um, so a lot of the issues facing the sector are that much more compounded for women's organizations.
0: So all of those preexisting challenges then, and now we're in the middle of all this, this pandemic moment. So what are some of the, the
2: new challenges that are arising out of this time for women and the women's sector that supports them? So as soon as the pandemic started, we did a flash survey across the province um, to get a sense of uh, what was going on with nonprofits and charities. And I pulled out the data for organizations that were serving women and girls and 2L- 2SLGBTQI plus communities. Um, and 75% of those organizations reported that they were, you know, right off the bat experiencing or anticipated experiencing reduced revenue from fundraising. So that's everything from canceled events, donations, and that was actually higher than the rest of the sector. So the rest of the sector had reported, about 74% had reported that and women's organizations um, and those serving the 2SL community was 78%. Automatically, you can see sort of this need to stabilize the sector when you have a precarious system in place or underfunding of a sector uh, when a pandemic or a crisis arises and actually demand is increasing, as I'm sure Anu will talk about, that precarious system is more likely to collapse.
1: Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a really important point about the increase in demand. So for services that are uh, dealing with gender-based violence, we know that uh, more or less from coast to coast to coast, there are increases reported from helplines or from shelters of 20 to 30 percent in the cases of people looking for help to deal with uh, gender-based violence. What's worse is that the cases of the shutdown or the lockdown are actually perfect conditions for uh, abusive partners who want to use power and control to make sure that uh, their partners only go certain places, only do certain things, only behave in certain ways, only contact certain people. And suddenly in this lockdown situation, you have almost perfect uh, scenario for those uh, abusive partners to be able to exert that control more and more tightly over um, over their partners. So it's a it's a bit of a, a double-edged sword in that way. You've got very little access to external services, and then in addition, you've got these conditions that almost promote a certain level of psychological control over another person, which is is really difficult because actually shelters are open, so and that 's one of the messages that that hasn 't necessarily gotten through very well to women or women haven 't felt confident enough in in understanding that message that shelters are open and they can go and get help uh, but um Unfortunately, with the messages from government not government not making that entirely clear. We have had some cases where um, women aren't really sure what they can do or, or what their possibilities are. So that's that's another kind of challenge that the
0: pandemic has presented. Do you feel as though the pandemic has meant that we're moving backward on some key strides in, in the fight towards equality? Or do you anticipate maybe that now that we're at this four month mark and, and the impacts are seemingly going to continue um, that we'll lose ground?
1: I think the, the loss of ground that we're seeing is, uh, first of all, access to services that help women identify and then deal with the the sorts of barriers that are stopping them from p- reaching their full potential. So violence would be one of those key barriers, being under the, the control of, a, of an abusive partner definitely holds women's backs, breaks their sense of um, security security. Uh, in, involves usually breaking down their self-esteem and then controlling them in what they can do financially or economically or politically or socially or even culturally or religious in their religious beliefs there's all sorts of ways that that means that women can't access their full rights because of violence and then in addition at the economic impact is such that women uh, we've heard women have made choices to not pursue, continue to pursue their chosen work uh, field or their chosen career because they feel as if in the current situation their primary focus must be family, whether that be um, uh, children or or um, other loved ones. So it's um, it sounds to me as if the systems that were in place that supported women's gendered care work are the first ones that have been in essence sort of taken away from society and such that women are now seeing that those basic rights to exercise their independence the same way that men traditionally have um, is much less uh, a point that they can rely on.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I just I also wonder, Anu, like with social distancing, right, how ter- like women's traditional support networks are also not there as they would um, in normal conditions, right, which increases that isolation piece um, during the pandemic as well. And I think the other pieces, so we already have a sector that's Underfunded, um, and then now there's increase in demand and dwindling resources. But then a lot of these women's organizations are also, um, expected, um, but also have to pivot, right? So how do you provide service? Um, how do you pivot in this sort of social distancing pandemic era? Um, to continue serving, uh, vulnerable communities, continue serving, you know, some of the women that Anu was talking about in these very very, um. Uh, I guess, hard to reach conditions, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. I guess pivoting
0: a bit more towards that, viewing this as an opportunity and, and sort of what we can do during this really precarious time for so many, um, what are some of the key recommendations that came out of the report
2: that, that you think would help ensure equality in the future? Our report sort of highlights, and I think the resetting normal is doing a really great job of doing, is thinking of this as an opportunity to rebuild, um, an opportunity to think about how we're going to reopen the economy, um, how we're going to recover, and how we can sort of... Um, Build these systems that have essentially collapsed during the pandemic in a much better way. Um, And, like, the first thing that comes to my mind is childcare, Um, not only because that's sort of the big issue right now, um, as childcare has been directed to open but is having a difficult time reopening because of their underfunding um, as well. But, how can we take this opportunity to rebuild a universally, you know, publicly funded, publicly managed childcare system across Canada? um, As that's one of the biggest um, pieces for women's economic security. Uh, going forward as well, right? Um, And so I think, you know, what happens with reopening and recovery and what sort of perspectives and uh, people at the table are at um, when government is doing recovering and replanning um, will really, really matter, because that's what's going to uh, put those policy pieces in place that will either help us gain more ground um, or help us at least sustain the ground that we had had, right? Um, so what where money is going to be put forth in terms of recovery, I know there's a lot of conversations around, you know, are we just going to try to reboot the economy by putting money into construction, infrastructure, these are all male class jobs, which males dominate in, right? Um, that's not going to help Um, women who work in women majority sectors or women who work in cashiering, retailing, um, social services, women's organizations? Um, Or are we going to put money into social infrastructure, building a care infrastructure, which is not only a critical source of employment for women, but also what women primarily rely on and the systems that collapse but were needed during the pandemic? Um, So that's I I hope that this is an opportunity to relook at all of that and see how we build, build better and reset normal. What
0: can people do to support a more gender equal future for the women's sector and those it serves who who are maybe not directly involved in government and policy making and these sort of big funding decisions?
1: Well, I, I think it's important for people to to maybe start for me. I mean, I do often say start with education. So it is important to understand maybe some of the impacts of what um, a lack of gender equality means, not, not to women, but to society as a whole, and to really inform ourselves about the different ways that um, inequality impacts different women in different ways in our society. I think that's a huge uh, first step. And then maybe understanding what the social service sector really does, because I think there's a lot of people who maybe don't necessarily need access to it. That don't always understand what what it can do and why it's so essential. And and from there, I think once you've once you've reached that point of understanding what those community organisations are doing, then it becomes very obvious that they need funding and the work that you can do to fund and um, uh, support them yourself.
2: Yeah, and, and as I and you were talking, I was thinking about you know. Um how so many issues in public discourse um, or when we're ta- looking at political discourse, um, if people can just start thinking about the impact of those, particularly on women. Um, so when we're thinking about employment standards and we're thinking about raising minimum wage, that raising is particularly gonna help women working in low-waged um, places, right? When we're thinking about a publicly funded childcare system, that's gonna particularly help women workers. Um, so really thinking about you know all these broader conversations that we're having around policy and, you know, different political platforms and different policy mechanisms, if people can just start thinking about it from an intersectional lens or a gender lens. When we raise the floor, it's not just that women are going to benefit from those policy mechanisms, but communities as a whole. So childcare benefits all new parents, people who want to have children, right? Um, if we're able to raise the minimum wage, it's not just women working in those um, spaces, but it means that people will have more disposable income and can afford housing and live um, where they're living and so it's sort of just having that broader perspective as a sort of thinking of it as a collective um, thinking of it from a collective um, perspective versus an individual this isn't going to impact me and thus I should not really pay attention I think does a really big disservice when we do have those big political moments um, and movements to push things forward um, and you know I'm going to be shameless donate to the women's sector <laughs> it's um, you know it's so important to support causes in that way um, and um, donating goes a long way just it, it helps us sustain ourselves sustain our organizations um, and do the work that we do in communities. And like sorry the sorry the last piece that I want to say is that um rights aren't a pie. If someone is getting more, if you want to phrase it in that way, it doesn't mean that someone else is going to get less. Um but rather, you know, if the most marginalized person in communities and societies is able to thrive or grasp on to services when they're in need, that tells you how well that society and community is doing and I think how well it would do will do in the future.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of All Right, Now What? If you'd like to learn more about us, or if you'd like to make a donation to support our work, please go to canadianwomen.org. Every dollar counts and will make a difference. Please share the show and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Canadian Women's Foundation and on Twitter at cdnwomenfdn. If you have questions or comments about the show, we'd love your feedback. And can be reached at engagement at Canadianwomen.org. Until next time.